Welcome to the Millennial Merlot podcast, where we blend true crime, tales from within the staffing industry, and a breakdown on world events. I'm your host, a legal aficionado, a wine lover, true crime enthusiast, national recruiter, and admitted workaholic. And I couldn't care less about ad money, sponsors, or boring small talk. So needless to say, you can expect zero ads or commercials. You can also expect an insightful analysis on cases and controversies, captivating crime case deep dives, and engaging stories from a thought-provoking and sometimes confrontational millennial perspective. Whenever world events unfold, whether it's good, bad, juicy, or toxic, I will be here wine in hand, ready to share my thoughts. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, guys. Today, we'll be talking about the first trial of its kind which resulted from a tragic occurrence that ironically happens way too often. Unfortunately, we live in a society where we're not as surprised when we learn that there's been a school shooting. I obviously hate to say that, but it has unfortunately happened so often that it's kind of lost its shock factor. It's such a tragic thing to happen. And before I even get started, I want to point out that I am not a parent. Although I do consider myself to be a mom to my sassy little dog, Bradley. So I can't sit here and pass too much judgment on this mother's parenting skills. Also, and moving right along, did you guys know that there have been 394 school shootings since Columbine? That number is staggering, but I also have another question for you. How common do you think it is for parents of a high school shooter to be prosecuted? As I said before, this is the first trial of its kind, and let's jump right in. On November 30th, 2021, 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly shot up his school, Oxford High School in Michigan, tragically killing four of his classmates, Madison Baldwin, Tate Muir, Justin Schilling, and Hannah St. Juliana. Ethan was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, And while it'll never be over for the students, families, and friends, at least that legal proceeding seems to be over, right? He's never going to see the light of day done. Until the state uncovered some troubling information about Ethan's parents and what they knew regarding his mental state, as well as his propensity for violence. So today we're going to be discussing Jennifer Crumbly, Ethan's mother, who is now on trial for involuntary manslaughter as a result of the school shooting. Jennifer and her husband are accused of contributing to the deaths at Oxford High School by neglecting their son's needs and making a gun accessible at home. And Jennifer's trial is first, so they're not going to be tried together. So let's take a step back just for a little bit of context. We all remember Sandy Hook. When you look at the Sandy Hook shooting, that young man, I don't even like to say his name. These these school shooters, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing up Ethan's name because I want you guys to be able to do any research on your own. I don't like talking about the specifics of the shooters at other school shootings because I feel like these school shooters get way too much notoriety. But when you look at the Sandy Hook shooting, that young man stole a gun from his parents. He took it to an elementary school and then shot a bunch of children. That particular young man was charged and the parents were not, mainly because at the time there was no law that required people to properly store and secure their firearms. This is basically what the prosecution's theory is on this case. 
The prosecution in Jennifer Crumbly's case argued that she and her husband were negligent by not properly safeguarding the gun, leaving it available to their son, who was also showing signs of serious mental illness and violent behavior. But more specifically, they argue that they are in fact responsible because they ignored some pretty shocking behavior. Before the Oxford shooting happened, prosecutors revealed that Ethan Crumbly experienced a series of distressing events. His beloved dog passed away, his only friend moved out of state, and then he even brought a baby bird's head in a jar to school. So all of this is really indicative of seriously troubling behavior. Despite clear signs of sadness and disturbing behavior from Ethan, his mom engaged in an extramarital affair, and both parents devoted such a significant amount of time caring for the family's horses, basically leaving Ethan to really marinate in what he was going through without any emotional support from his parents. In one of the court filings, Oakland County prosecutors accused Ethan's parents of neglecting their son's mental suffering and emotional needs, and instead chose to buy him a gun. Skeptics of the prosecution's theory argue that the threshold for involuntary manslaughter have not been met. So involuntary manslaughter, it's defined as a killing that is accidental in nature. With involuntary manslaughter, you have to have a victim or victims that die as a result of another's indirect actions. So those actions have to be egregiously negligent or intended to cause harm, something short of death. This definition alone is what Crumbly supporters say nullifies the parents of any wrongdoing because they argue that their personal and specific actions did not directly result in the killings of those four students. It sounds like they are being charged for their actions leading to multiple deaths, but they're actually being charged for their inaction, their failure to act. So in contrast, here is the prosecution's disposition. Both parents failed to keep tabs on their son's possession of his gun. A lot of people are angry that they would even buy their son a gun, who was clearly struggling with his mental illness. So apparently, one day at school, Ethan's teacher found drawings that really disturbed her. In one of the drawings that Ethan did, he drew a gun, a bullet, and a bleeding victim. The teacher then came across handwritten notes in his homework bag that read, quote, my life is useless, unquote, and another note that said, quote, blood everywhere. There was another note that she found that said, the thoughts won't stop, please help me. So Ethan's teacher was so alarmed by this that she took him to the counselor's office and immediately called his parents. So when they showed up to the school, faculty members shared what they saw in the drawings with his parents told them that it was their belief that he needed to seek psychiatric help immediately and that the parents needed to take him home. Oddly enough, Ethan's parents didn't take it seriously and instead of taking him home that day, they left him there and he ultimately went back to class. What's even crazier is that it was discovered that his mother walked in on him watching a school shooting video that very morning before Ethan even went to school that day. Many believe that all Ethan's parents had to do was tell the school that they had recently purchased a gun for him, asked him where the gun was, opened up his backpack, and just taken him home. Had they done that, those children would be alive today because when Ethan returned to class, he opened fire, killing Madison Baldwin, Tate Muir, Justin Schilling, and Hannah St. Juliana. It is believed by many that Jennifer and James Crumbly were in a better position than anybody else in the world to prevent this tragedy, but they failed to do so.
When watching the opening statements, I listened to the prosecutor highlight the fact that the teacher who found the drawing had very limited knowledge of who Ethan really was, which was an interesting point and a really good one, because if that teacher, who barely knew Ethan, was alarmed enough to alert higher faculty members, arrange an immediate meeting with the parents and counselors, wouldn't it be safe to assume that Ethan's mother should have been more alarmed given everything she's known about her son's increasing mental health issues? The state argues that Ethan's parents were the only ones in the world who had enough background information on their son to really see the impending danger when those scary drawings were found by Ethan's teacher. And then by them refusing to take Ethan to a mental health professional, they were, quote, directly responsible for the tragic events that unfolded that day, unquote. Prosecutors also argue that Ethan had been sending his mother troubling text messages regarding his mental state and that they assert that his parents were fully aware in explicit detail of the grave threat posed by their son prior to the shooting. During that same opening statement, the prosecution also shared with the jury that emergency meetings like the one that was conducted at Ethan's school that day usually last about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. But Jennifer Crumbly allegedly ended the meeting abruptly within 11 minutes into the conversation. I could see abruptly ending that meeting to like take my kid home and to get him some professional help, but it's curious that she did not do that. She ended the conversation and she left the school without Ethan. Now, a lot of people are divided on this issue because, again, this is the first case of its kind. Former prosecutors and defense attorneys chime in and they say that they aren't necessarily defending the parenting of Jennifer and her husband, but they say that being a bad parent isn't necessarily a crime. So it seems to me like because this is so unprecedented, that perhaps the prosecution is trying to make an example out of the parents so that there are even extra steps being taken in the future to prevent another school shooting from happening. Obviously, the prosecution is the voice for the victims and their families, and they're doing what they think is right by holding Ethan's parents accountable. And maybe this is just a highly effective strategy that kills three birds with one stone. I'd like to believe that Jennifer Crumbly did not buy the gun for Ethan with the hopes that he would use it in that way. I'd also like to believe that she would never want innocent children to be gunned down, especially by her own son. So many people wonder, if she had no concrete knowledge that her son was going to shoot up his school, how is it that she can actually be charged for the crime? It's important to remember that Jennifer is not being charged with murder. She's being charged with involuntary manslaughter, which again, by definition, means unintentional, and it's rooted in negligence. So involuntary manslaughter is committed when someone's acts or failure to act results in a death or deaths. So the whole case against Jennifer Crumbly is that Ethan's acts were, quote, reasonably foreseeable, unquote, by his mother, and therefore, she had a reasonable duty to prevent the shooting from happening. When the prosecution talks about Jennifer's willful disregard of danger, my mind immediately goes to that meeting at the school. Like I'm genuinely curious about what she was thinking when she left that campus, because if she really thought that her son was going to commit a school shooting, I do believe that she would have taken him with her. She's not an omniscient being. Like it's not like she can read his mind. It's not like she knew definitively that she was going to do that, but the gross negligence part, that does seem to ring true for me. But guys, I have to talk about Jennifer's attorney. I swear to God, this defense attorney got up to give her opening statement 
and immediately quoted Taylor Swift. You cannot make this up. So the first words out of her mouth when first facing the jury were, quote, on my way to court today, I was blasting Taylor Swift to calm my nerves, unquote. Guys, if I was a juror, I'd be like, uh, ma'am, this is a court of law and you're defending a woman who's facing years in prison. Like, we don't care about your Swifty status, right? Like, how pissed would you be if you were facing prison time and your defense attorney got up and did something like this? Like, she might be a good attorney, but if I'm ever in trouble, I pray that I don't have an attorney who conducts themselves in this way in a courtroom. Like, how embarrassing. She went on to say that, quote, there was a line in one of Taylor Swift's songs that summarized what this case was apparently all about, unquote. And this is the, this is the line that she's referring to. Band-Aids don't stop bullet holes. Apparently, I think that's the song from Bad Blood, I'm pretty sure. But so she goes on to make the connection between the prosecution wanting to make people feel better about what happened at Oxford High School that day wanting to make members of the community feel like the people responsible were being held accountable and to make an impact on gun laws. I see what she's doing. She, she's trying to say that convicting Jennifer Crumbly of involuntary manslaughter is the proverbial band-aid. I mean, it's creative, but I wouldn't necessarily consider this to be a substantial defense for her client. Like if anything, it's, it's kind of short-sighted. It's kind of dismissive of the chain of events that led to that day. By the way, I should have mentioned this before. So this defense attorney's name is Shannon Smith, but Shannon concludes her opening statement by trying to convince everyone that her client had no idea that her son was experiencing the kinds of mental health issues that would ever foreshadow an event like this to occur. It's hard to say, like I want to believe her because again, I cannot imagine that Jennifer would knowingly allow something as terrible as a school shooting to even happen if she knew that there was something that she could do to reasonably prevent it. Can you imagine that your kid committed such a horrendous act like a school shooting resulting in a life sentence without the possibility of parole? only to then find yourself charged with indirect responsibility and facing years in prison yourself? I honestly cannot even imagine. Like, they say that she even fled at some point. I'm not really sure on this. I'm a little fuzzy on that part, but they say that she tried to flee, and I'm sure she did. Like, I'd be scared shitless, and I'm sure that the community probably turned on her too. Look, division over Jennifer's culpability, I think, sheds a broader issue about school shootings and violence prevention in the United States. It's obviously crucial to examine each individual case and assign responsibility where appropriate, right? But it's equally important to address the larger systemic issues surrounding things like gun control, mental health support, and school safety, things like that. The Oxford school shooting is, as I mentioned, one out of 394 school shootings, but it's the only case that I can find where a parent has been charged as a result of their child's actions during that school shooting. So by charging the parents, it might serve as the conduit we might need with respect to responsible gun ownership and storage and improved mental health services and awareness and you know a collaborative effort amongst schools, communities, and law enforcement agencies to not only identify, but to do everything they can to intervene when people start to exhibit concerning behavior like this. In the case of Jennifer Crumbly, 
The legal system will ultimately determine her culpability. However, the discussion surrounding her role in this tragedy should prompt a broader conversation about the responsibility that we all bear. If I had to guess, I think she will be convicted, unfortunately, and then the, the state will move on to the trial for her husband, James. Interestingly enough, the defense that Jennifer's attorney is taking is blaming it all on her husband. So if she isn't convicted, it'll be because there will be enough reasonable doubt that her husband wasn't more culpable. And then when her husband goes to trial, it might be the same thing where they try to put all the blame on the wife. But as I said before, I do think that Jennifer will be convicted and I think her husband will too. The whole thing is just incredibly tragic. But I'm just hoping that this trial will prevent such devastating events from occurring ever again. And with that, we wrap up tonight's episode. This whole situation is truly heartbreaking. Honestly, there are no winners in this situation. My heart goes out to the families of Hannah, Justin, Tate, and Madison. And thank you all so much for joining me for this discussion tonight. I wish you all a lovely evening and I'll see you next week. Cheers.